0: Hey, if I can have everybody stand, Um, we're going to continue on with what we've been doing in this book series uh, in Colossians, and we are going to have a reading. So we have uh, Stephanie Miller who's going to come down, and she is going to read for us.
1: Okay, starting in Colossians. Uh, chapter 1 verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints.
0: You guys can grab a seat. What's up? We good? Come on. It's good to be in church today, amen? I, uh, I was at the dentist a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah, oh, but my wife's a hygienist, so that, that helps, right? Um, and I realized something as I'm leaving the dentist. Uh, like, I, I, I love the te- feeling of my teeth being clean. Anybody else? Like after she runs that polisher on them and then rinses that stuff off and you just rub your tongue across your teeth and you're just like, praise his holy name. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I just, I can do it right now. I'm just like, oh, it feels good. But you know what I also realize is that even though my wife is the hygienist, even though I go get to see her while I'm there, I still kind of hate it. You know what I mean? It's just kind of painful. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's not her fault. She does a great job. My, my, that's my own fault. Like right? I, she's like, how many times have you flossed? And I'm like, babe, you're there. You know, like it's... It's not as much as it should be, you know, <laughs> like, and so there's blood and it hurts and it's more tender than it should be. It's my own fault, but like, it's, it's painful, but then you realize that that pain is, is really for a good thing. Like, we're taking good care of my teeth, you know what I'm saying? And, and I, I'm saying this uh, to say, I, I think today's going to feel a little bit like going to the dentist. Uh, I think, yeah, it's like, uh-oh, I think, it's, I think it might hurt a little bit. And I think for some of you in particular, I think it might, might really land, that might really sting and you might really kind of be kind of brought into a place in your life where you're where you're hurting, uh, but the points, so like just the point of the dentist is not to go there to feel pain. The point of going to the dentist is to get some help, right? To get to have them help through that pain. And so my hope today is not just that I, we hurt you, that this hurts today. I'm hoping that we also, we step into the pain a little bit, embrace some of the pain so that we can we can really learn how to suffer well. I think as we read through this text, what we see is that Paul is Paul is suffering uh, on, on behalf of really the church at large. Um, if you remember right, he's writing this letter from prison. He's in prison, writing to a church in a town called Colossae that he's never even been to before. He's never even laid eyes on these people before. And yet he's, he's suffering, toiling, so that he might bring the mystery, which is not to mean this like mystery, like it can't be solved. It's this thing that's been hidden for ages, and so this thing that's been hidden is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. And as he is presenting this and proclaiming this to the world around him, it's resulted in him being persecuted, thrown in prison, beaten up, threatened with his life, like tortured. And so that's that's where he writes this letter from. It's from jail, from a place of heartache, from a place of pain. And and I think as we, as I was preparing this message this week, uh, just aware of a lot of the stories that I already do know. And then I'm aware of a lot of the stories of people going on and faces sitting in front of me that I don't know what's going on. But here's what I do know is that all of us encounter suffering. All of us encounter suffering of, of some kind. We are all gonna have places, spots, moments, seasons in our life that are hard, that are brutal. And I think even as I'm saying this, there's probably some of you that you're maybe just, you're maybe just a little young and you're like, life hasn't been that hard for me yet. Like 2020 was the hardest that I've gotten. Honestly, I kind of liked being at home all the time with mom and dad. Maybe it's something like that. And you just have like, maybe life has just not been that difficult. You haven't been through anything that hard yet. Uh, but again, suffering is part of the human experience. It's part of what the Bible reveals to us as, as the human experience. For some of you, like you're in here and the suffering is, is right now. Like like you 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 carried it in here on your heart today as you came in. It's it's a it's a marriage that that man the last year has not been helpful for your marriage. It's been on the brink for a long time. It's been it's been a place of pain for you. Um, you have maybe you have a a job that's getting eliminated. The company is downsizing. You're getting let go. And, and there's all sorts of insecurity and uncertainty around finances. Or or maybe it's maybe it's just the diagnosis is coming back and it's not in your favor. It's cancer, it's infertility, it's whatever. Like it's actually a miscarriage right now. That's what's happening. And, and for so many of us, like we, we step into places of suffering and, and, and maybe you have like a good support group. Maybe there's people even in this room who are aware of what you're going through, but there's so many of us also, and you're in here today and you're suffering alone. Like nobody else knows what's, what pain you're going through right now. Nobody's really... Can Understand or fathom what's happened to you. For, for some people, like the suffering was actually, it's not active, it's not current right now, but you're actually suffering from something that happened in the past. And, and you just, you haven't let it go, you haven't gotten over it yet. And, and people have said to you, man, time will heal all wounds. And I want to say to you, church, time doesn't heal wounds. Time makes wounds maybe uh, a little more unclear, makes memories fade a little bit, but only Jesus heals wounds. Time, time, won't, time won't heal. Time will maybe make it less clear. It'll make it like the pain of the moment sting a little less because it's in the distant past. But but what really happens as time goes on is usually you don't find healing just through time. What you actually find through time is uh, things to grow. And one of the main things that grows in the place of a wound is, is bitterness. Can we just be honest about that? Unforgiveness, resentment. You're waiting for that person to apologize. And the old saying is, is true, like bitterness is like you drinking poison and unforgiveness is like you drinking poison, waiting for the other person to die. I, I just like want to remind you this morning, like if you're, if you're suffering because of what somebody else did, um, they might never apologize. And even if they do, it's maybe not going to be the thing that actually heals your heart. I just need you to know that we all suffer. We all, like, there's different contexts. It happened at different times. It's happening in different moments. It's happening right now. It did happen. It hasn't happened yet, but we're gonna face suffering. We're going to. And there's different reasons why. I mean, everyone, everyone asks why. Even if you explore the Bible, look at all the different biblical characters, they all seem to come to this point where they ask God, why am I going through what I'm going through? Why? Why am I doing this? And, and man, we can answer that question. Why is because the world's broken. Sin fractured the world. Adam and Eve, when sin came into the world, everything was, was fractured, tilted off of its access, even down to a molecular level to where now uh, sickness and disease are part of this world. It, it wasn't designed to be like that, but because of sin, now, now there are natural disasters. There's chaos, there's, there's relational strife. There's things that happen because sin is a part of this world and it's broken everything. It's also broken us, each of us personally. And so we sin. I sin and it causes suffering for other people. Other people sin and it causes suffering for me. And, and there's all sorts of different ways that this lands. There's different persecution. There's different consequences to things. Like God is a God of sowing and reaping. You, you can't just, you can't just uh, sow bad decisions into all of your life and then blame God for things not going your way. There, there's part of the suffering that maybe it's just a byproduct of like the compounding factors of your decision-making. Like sin fractures, it breaks. It, it creates human suffering. If the goal of the garden was human flourishing in the presence of God, what we're living in now is the byproduct of that not going according to plan, and 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 humankind rebelling against God's intended will for humans to flourish. And now, so we we sin, and now sin causes suffering. We also suffered. We don't have a good category for this. Is like post-enlightenment Western American evangelicals, where we would say. Uh, there's, there's just the reality that there's a demonic influence in the world we're living in. And we don't have a good category for that. It's not something you can really use the scientific method to just test, measure, produce, reproduce, and, and see how it happens. But, but there is an enemy. And Peter says that enemy is like a lion, seeking to devour, seeking to cause harm, seeking to cause suffering. So we have an enemy that's out to get us as well. And so, the question I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, why am I suffering? Because everyone can ask why. It's much more rare to encounter someone who's actually asking, how am I going to get through this well? And that's the question that I want to ask today. Not if you're suffering. I know everyone's going to suffer. Not why you're suffering. That we can answer biblically. And it's maybe not altogether too helpful to just slap a label on it. But what I want to answer is, okay, so you're suffering. How are we going to do this well? How are we going to do this well? It's not foreign to the New Testament that the church faces persecution and suffering. You got to look no further than the apostle Paul. The dude is just constantly beat up, tortured, thrown in prison. uh, And he just is like, you can't stop him. They're like, we're going to kill you. And he's like, go ahead. I'll get to go to heaven. They're like, fine. We'll just let you out and let you live. And He's like, perfect. I'll get to minister more to people. (laughs) All right, no, shut up. We're going to throw you in jail. And he's like, great. I'll have time to write all these letters to the churches that I haven't seen yet. Like Colossian churches, Right. You, like, it's not foreign. And then, and then even uh, the half brother of Jesus, James, says, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. And, and that, let me tell you, okay? That's super Instagrammable, super tweetable, super like easy to just slap on a coffee mug as you drink coffee in the morning. It's probably, it might, that verse might even be in a frame in your house. But when it's a miscarriage, when it's a marriage that's failing, when it's a prodigal that is just not coming back, and you say, consider this pure joy. It's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more difficult. And so I, I, I have no intention of making this, making this sermon today like a, a 35 minute push a button and now your sorrows will turn to rejoicing. That's not what this is. And you know, that's not, a, I don't think that's what the Bible shows us, but the Bible does seem to give us a category or a capacity as followers of Jesus to be able to take the suffering, take the hardship of life and to somehow flip it into rejoicing. And so that's where we'll get today. But to get there, we're gonna have to work through the text backwards because that's how it made the most sense to me. Okay, so we're just gonna start down towards the bottom. We're gonna go all the way back up towards verse 24 where we're gonna land. Um, Paul, as he's writing this, he writes um, like, hey, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm rejoicing in my suffering for you guys. But what he, this is, this is Paul's MO because you read in Acts chapter 20, this is, this is kind of Paul's standard operating procedure for ministry. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? constrained by the spirit. The spirit's telling me to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that everywhere I go, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Come on church, right? Like, let's, here we go. Here we go. Imprisonment and afflictions are waiting for me. This is This is Paul's operating lens for the world that he lives in. He's saying like, okay, I'm, I'm compelled to go to this city and I don't, I don't really know what even God's going to do, but here's what I do know. It ain't going to be that fun. Like there could be parts of it that kind of suck a little bit. Can we, be, can we be real, that real in church this morning? And so the first thing that I notice is that we have to be willing to suffer for the sake of others. We have to, have to be willing to suffer for the sake of others. As he's kind of finishing up this portion of scripture, he says in Colossians chapter two, verse one and two, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And he's doing this so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He, he's saying, listen, I, I'm laboring for you right now and I haven't even met you before. He, he's he's Paul's, Paul's whole life is based on bringing, proclaiming this gospel, this mystery to the Jew, to the Gentile, telling the truth about who Jesus was, and it's always bringing him persecution. But he doesn't let that persecution, he doesn't let that suffering stop him from bringing the message into the world. And so he has, he has a gear where he's just saying, no, I will suffer for the sake of others. And we don't have a good space to put this. As, as Americans, be like, so so we have this kind of like, let's just pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We have this kind of like rugged individualism that we have in our country. And then you couple that with like just the tense division of the last year where it's this side against this side on just like name your category, right? Like we could just, just go down the list, but I feel like I've done it so many times recently that I just don't even want to do it again. But there's so many things that we have been so divisive over that I think we've lost the space in our brains to understand, no, I could actually suffer for somebody else. I might do things that are uncomfortable. I might choose to enter into things that I don't naturally choose to do, and I'm willing to suffer for the sake of another person. These words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount really struck me this week and really really convicting to me. And so I'm just, if you are having a tough time loving on, being compassionate for, serving somebody, suffering for the sake of another, I just want to invite you to go read Matthew chapter five this week. Write that down. Matthew chapter 5 I picked a couple of verses out of it here where Jesus says you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I heard this story in the last couple of weeks of uh, Pastor Bill Johnson out of Bethel Church in California, and you can you can think his theology is shady or you can love it. I personally think he gets misrepresented a lot um, but man he 's kind of in the spotlight of debate for being whatever label you want to throw on there heretic, false teacher, uh, swindler of the gospel, like all sorts of things okay. Um, I was listening to this interview from him. Whether or not you agree with his theology, this point's really, really good. He does communion every single day. And he says, as he starts communion, as he grabs the bread and he takes juice, he sits down and he every article he's read, every critic he can think of, he just goes through them name by name, prays for them, prays blessing on their family. He prays blessing on the people who are persecuting him. He he says, I pray that their ministry would thrive. I pray that you would just be with them in their finances. And he just goes through and he just prays blessing over others. That's a category, I think, that we as a culture for sure have lost. And as the church, we need to find it again. Because we can get so convinced, especially if you're in the comment section on social media somewhere, that what the person really needs is just a good sound theological point just zinged at them in their DMs or something like that. And I'm just, I'm just here to say, I think what the world needs to see more of is, is not someone who's, and I believe in giving a sound defense for your faith. Don't get, me, don't get it twisted right now. Like I believe in having a, a good defense and a good apologetic for what you believe in. But I just think far too often what the world needs to see it's somebody who's willing to sacrificially love, sacrificially serve, be compassionate for, rather than just like intellectually correct. <laughs> Amen from the baby. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's, the baby reacted properly to that. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta know that like, we have this ability because of Jesus that we can suffer for the sake of others. If you wanna, you might say, man, but that person's done nothing but wrong to me. I would say, well, look at the ministry of Jesus. He was perfect and we murdered him. And he was willing to endure it so that he might testify and show the love of the Father and reconcile us back to him. The other thing that we have to do, we have to see a purpose beyond our pain. I have to see a purpose beyond our pain. Colossians 1.25 says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What Paul's saying here in this middle portion of the text is he's saying, I've been called by God to be a minister of the gospel. And because of that calling, because I bear that and I carry that, that's resulted in some suffering in my life. But he's willing to endure it, not just for the sake of others, but he's willing to do it because he sees that there's a greater purpose beyond just the pain that he's experiencing right now. He's saying, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get to testify about the risen, ruling, reigning Lord Jesus. And as I do that, people are going to come into relationship with him. And so this this point that there's a purpose beyond your pain applies, like there's a global point in that, but there's also a very specific point to that. The global point is, man, church, I need you just to embrace the fact that we are going to be persecuted because of our faith. And and you might have a really dramatic picture of what that's going to look like in your mind, but you also might have just the really subtle realities that you live in right now, that people don't talk to you the same way because they know that they're a Christian because they know you're a Christian. They don't invite you to things because they know you're a Christian. They don't bring up certain topics around you because they know you're a Christian. Like, like I, I feel this so much as a pastor, but I know you all feel it on some level because check it out, as a pastor, I'm walking to school, I encounter one of my neighbors walking to school and, and the generic conversation goes like what? You all know it. It's like, hey, what's up? Hey, what's your name? Oh, my name's Bob. Hey Bob, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, I'm a plumber. Awesome, Bob the plumber. What does Bob the plumber, if he's a normal human being, then in, f- in turn, ask me, what do you do for a living? And this is where I have to decide if I'm going to lie or not. <laughs> I say that, that tongue in cheek a little bit. Obviously, I want to. tell people I'm a pastor, but, but what's brutal is that every time I say that, they immediately become a different person. And, and it's like, we can giggle about how that makes me feel, but you all feel that on some level. It's just not the natural order of conversation that what are you doing Sunday morning comes up naturally in the first three questions that you're talking with somebody, right? You don't get to just say, oh, I'm going to church. So, so we, all, we all feel this, that like um, we hesitate to kind of share, to reveal that because people are going to immediately start treating you different. It's persecution. It's, it might be a very small P, persecution, but it's there. It's real. It's suffering in a real way. Um, but I need us to just embrace that we're a little weird. I think I call this out all the time that like, you know, like just be charismatic and be weird about certain things. And, and, and Caden's like, you got to quit making it sound like all charismatics are weird because he's going to do a sermon in a couple weeks about how, man, there's a lot of charismatic worship practices that are far more biblical than most evangelicals are willing to admit. All right. So that's, that's coming in a couple weeks. Stay tuned. But, but what I mean by that is just like, can we just embrace the fact that we look a little different? That like, I raise my hands in worship because I'm postured in a way that I'm surrendered to God. Like I sing loudly in church and my voice is not that good. I have weird rhythms with my money. I have weird rhythms with my time. I don't let my kids watch all the shows that other kids are watching. Like I have things that look a little weird to the world that I'm living in. Here's the best way that I know how to explain it. Uh, I've been telling you guys for a little bit that my kids are in soccer, right? So what comes with that is they've each gotten their first couple goals in soccer. Come on, I got the next like Pele in my family. Probably not. (laughs) Almost for sure not. Let's just be really clear. I love my kids. But uh, every every parents, I got to imagine, at least all, like the good parents, like you go to a soccer game fully prepared to just celebrate like an idiot when, you're, when your kid scores that goal. You know what I mean? So like Harper got the first one this season and I was, I was like sitting there and I saw it. The ball, the goalie was over there. The ball rolled this way. She was right there in front of the goal. And Katie and I were both just like jumping like, yeah, I can't get it just like, it ends, she scores and it ends. And I'm like, well, I probably looked really dumb just now. Like I jumped, I jumped so high and I landed on Haven's snack, crushed it. (laughs) Um, Whoops. You know, like you just don't care. And why is it that we all like, like all of us with kids, right? You know, you like go to a soccer game, you go to a basketball game, you go to the sporting event, you'll lose your mind if your kid does something awesome. But like, we'll do things like this in church where we'll preach the gospel, we'll sing the gospel and we're all just, we don't lose our mind. We don't get that excited about it. I'm just like, church, I'm just saying we have to embrace the weird a little bit. Peter calls us a peculiar people. And so we should look a little strange and that's okay. And it might result in some suffering and that's okay. Now, now that's the global point, the global point, the purpose beyond your pain globally is that you would actually testify and proclaim who Jesus is in the way you live your life. And that might result in some suffering, and that's okay. But the specific point is that each of you specifically have endured places of pain that you are now qualified in to minister to specifically in other people. So, so like, I don't want to act like Katie and I haven't been through anything ever. Like, we, we've had some things. We, by and large, though, we look at our life and like, man, all of our grandparents, parents, siblings, everyone's still alive. And, and I know that's... That is, widely not true. But, but what happens is like, if you were to come and, and it's like, my marriage is in pieces and I don't know how I'm going to reconcile this thing. Man, like, listen, I, I will pray for you. I will contend for your marriage, for healing, for restoration with you. I will find verses that encourage you. I will, I will be praying even when you're not in front of me. I will, I will surround you as best I can and love on you, but I am not as qualified to minister to you because I've been married to this girl, my, my high school best friend for the last 10 years. But some of you, you have been through the deepest places of pain in a relationship, in a miscarriage, in, in, in a prodigal not returning. I mean, you just, you keep going line In a job loss that was so painful, you never saw it coming. You were blindsided by a company. And that, that in turn, God taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it for good. We're not, we're not determinalists. We don't believe that God has already just, he planned for that to happen to you. And he, he chose for that to happen to you. That's not what we believe. We believe that God did though. We have to put a space where God allowed that thing to happen to you. And part of what he's wanting to see happen in that painful moment is he's wanting you to see that that has qualified you to encourage somebody else in that very same place of pain. Where you can testify and say, no, listen, this is how Jesus showed up when I was here. Right where you are right now. Keep hanging in there. Wait, don't give up keep pressing in. Try this. There's specificity that comes when you've walked through it personally. And if we can embrace that, then what we can see is that, man, the purpose beyond our pain is that we would actually, we'd actually minister specifically to people's needs, not just in these generic theological truths. I love generic theology, but I also love specific help. Amen? Henry Nouwen says it like this in his book, The Wounded Healer. What is most personal and unique in each one of us is probably the very element which would, if it were shared or expressed, speak most deeply to others. So just, you just got to understand, your greatest place of pain is probably going to be linked to your most effective area of ministry in your life. The last thing that I want us to consider is that uh, if we're going to suffer well, we don't just dismiss it. That's, that's kind of the tendency sometimes is we just kind of like, we want to just put on our church face, put on our mask when we're up in church. And we just go, oh, you know, everything's good. Everything's fine. Praise the Lord. Nothing's going wrong in my life at all. Whatever. World's on fire back here, you know? And it's just like, nope, hey, we're in church. Praise the Lord. That song was awesome this morning. We don't want to be people who just dismiss it. Biblically speaking, there's not, there's not a lot of space for, for people who just said, oh, that never happened to me. No, they, they step into the pain. They're honest about their pain. They're honest about their suffering. But they don't dwell in it either. So if you just, if you're continually stuck on this question, why God, it's, it's more like you're trying to put him on trial as for what he should or should not have done. And again, if that's, if that's what you're doing, we need to go back to last week's sermon and understand that like all of us have sinned. All of us deserve far worse than what we're getting right now. It doesn't really matter what your story is. And, and like, I know some stories are really hard but there is sin that's a part of this world. And then we have a big, big, sovereign, holy God. Amen. And so we don't, we don't dwell in it either. We don't get stuck on asking God, why? God, why? God, why? Eventually we have to trust that he's going to do something with it. And so what do we do? We try best we can to redirect it to worship. He, Paul starts this Colossians 1, uh, 24. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering." for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. So there's three ways I think that we can uh, see and maybe put a filter on so that we can start to understand suffering and and start to redirect our pain into worship. But again, I just want to say, some of you have had awful things happen to you and I'm sorry. And it sucks that this world is broken the first thing you have to understand is that we're living not for just this life, but we're living for eternity. And whatever it is that you went through right now, as hard as it may have been, as terrible as somebody may have been to you, you will not remember it in 10,000 years. There will, like, if, if if you see the scope that God has for your life, he's got eternity taken care of. And that eternity, when I read about it in Revelation at the end of the book, there's going to be no more hurting, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more relational strife. The world itself is going to be healed. And that's where we're going to inhabit for forever. We're going to live there for forever. And so there, that, that's how Paul is able to say, I don't consider this light and momentary affliction, even though it's not light, it's not even momentary. He's in prison for like most of his adult life, it seems like. But he's able to say, I don't consider it worthy to compare of the glory that is coming. I have to have you see the eternal perspective that God has saved you for eternity. It, may, it makes me think of Job, right? You're like, yeah, we can't talk about a message on suffering without talking about Job. If you don't know who Job is, let me just say like our life is somewhere in between Solomon and Job. Solomon, Solomon had everything. Dude was just bawling. Like he had to slaughter like hundreds of cattle for the parties he had. All right, come on. You, like you may have a good time on a Friday night, but you haven't never like had to kill a bunch of cows to feed everybody that was there, right? Dude didn't plant like trees to like zero escape his yard. He planted forests. You see, you see that? Like Solomon had wealth. If we all put our piggy banks together and we all just made as much money as we could for the rest of our life, we wouldn't even come close. He had it all. And his conclusion... It's meaningless. It's meaningless apart from God. Like it's it, all, all life is about him. But then you have Job who has a lot. He, he's got, he's got all these, all this livestock. He's got a family. He's got his health. He's got a lot of things going for him. And Satan comes to him, which this is just fascinating. Uh, Job is a long book full of a lot of just hard reading stuff. But if you read the first five chapters and the last three, you'll get the gist. The first five chapters, what you see is, you, first of all, you see the devil coming to him and asking if he can do this to Job because he's accusing Job that he doesn't actually really love God. He just loves God because he has all this stuff. And so I don't know about your perspective of the devil. My perspective of him is he's begging for permission. Right? So when he comes to God, God says, okay, let's, we're going to test Job in this. Job loses in like a page of your Bible. He loses all of his livestock. He loses all of his family. His kids dies, his servants dies. His whole life goes away. Like everyone except for his wife dies. You might be like, oh, that's sweet. No, listen, Job's wife is the worst. Like (laughs) would have been better for that dude if she was dead. Because like Job's response, Job's, well, as all this is happening, he's losing his health, losing all of his stuff. and, and, And she just goes, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? Thanks, honey. Thanks for the encouragement, right? Like really appreciated in this moment. That's his wife's advice. But what Job, what Job concludes in Job chapter one, verse 21, as he's losing everything, this is his response. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, that's hard to say, especially if you're in it right now, that is hard to say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But Job has a big picture of God. He, he sees the cosmic, the eternal scope. And so you have to keep eternity in mind. The other thing that you have to keep in mind is that, uh, is that Jesus is, is most near, I believe, to those who are in their deepest pain. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And I, I, I can't explain it perfectly, but I believe that there is a nearness in the presence of God that that is unlike that, that is accessible when everything's going well. There just, there is. And I think, uh, read this fascinating book. It's you could read it. You could not read it. Don't really care. Sebastian Younger, the book tribe. I don't think he's a Christian at all, but what he writes on, it's fascinating. He studies people who were in world war II, and they were under just constant bombing during world war II, days Days and days, weeks of bombing, and they kept retreating into shelter. The siren goes off again. They go down, get in their bunker, wait it out, wondering if this is gonna be the one that takes us. But what's fascinating is that he finds the people who were in that suffering, they actually miss it once they're out of it. And we like some of you I've talked to you, like I know this is true about our faith. He makes it all about the community that was available there, but I think there's something deeper that he misses because he's not a believer. But for those of you that I've talked to where you're like, listen, I would never want to ever go back to that moment again in my life. But there was something about the nearness of God in that circumstance where he ministered to me. He encouraged me. He spoke directly to me. He was with me in the suffering in a special way that I haven't experienced since. And you almost miss the day that you were suffering. So we have to understand that there's eternity an internal perspective, if we're going to suffer well, we have to understand that there's a nearness of God that's available. And we're going to pray as we end the service that just, man, if you're suffering right now, I pray that God would just be so near, that he'd be so comforting. It's Pentecost Sunday today. Some of you Pentecostal people were like, yeah, he's not going to say anything about Pentecost Sunday today. Oh, here I am. You bet I am. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's called the, the paraclete, the the helper. And it's just this picture, man, I just hope on this Pentecost Sunday, it's not like necessarily just tongues of fire that he pours out, but he just pours out his presence and his comfort with you today. But the last thing before I jump ahead is that the, what God also provides for us in our suffering, the perspective we have to keep in mind with our suffering is that uh, there's always maturity that's available in every moment of suffering. So that's what James is trying to say when he says, I don't consider, or he says, um, he says, this, uh, consider it pure joy when you encounter suffering of various kinds and let suffering produce its full effect in you to produce a steadfastness. And that steadfastness would ultimately then refine your faith. And so suffering, it has this way of bringing about maturity. The, in Colossians one twenty five, when Paul's saying, um, there's this affliction, like I haven't completed Christ's work in me. It almost sounds like when you first read it in verse 24 there, that it sounds like the work of the cross wasn't quite sufficient enough. But what John Piper says about that text is he says I think that when you read verse 24 what it should mean is not that you add to the atoning merit or value or worth of the death of Christ but that when you when you when you see it right that you actually add the extension of that suffering to those whom he died to, for those whom he died in your own body and sufferings and so Every moment in suffering is a a moment for maturity where you can actually say, okay, this is happening to me right now and God is refining my faith. He's developing me. He's growing me. And, And you might, like, I know the tendency is to say, well, that's just cruel, God, to strip these things away, to cause this pain so that I might have a closer relationship with you. And here's what I'll say. Like your relationship with God is the greatest gift that he could ever give you. And so please, if you're walking through something that's hard. I don't believe God did that to you, but I do believe that one of the things that God wants to do in that is he wants to draw you closer to him. And he wants to have you rooted and established in your faith, refined, tested, so that you might stand firm on him, that you would build your house on the rock and that you would trust in him and let that, let that produce in you a steadfastness, a resolve that says, I can, I can keep going. I can keep suffering. Just as Becky's word, as she shared this morning, they're like, man, there's a hundred yards left. God, would you give me the energy to get there to the finish line? Because I know that you're with me. He doesn't promise in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will pluck you out and get you out of there just fine. No, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the promise of God. He's going to be with you near to you, involved in redeeming reconciling, restoring your suffering and we have to keep that in mind if we're going to suffer well would you stand i want to I want to pray and I want to read uh, the end of a psalm over you and if this if this resonates I'll just encourage you to write this down and go read all of psalm 27 this week but I want to put up these last two verses because david's kind of going back and forth here about the good things, the bad things, his trust, his distrust. And so just even the Psalm itself should give you some comfort knowing that, man, even King David wrestled with the fact, is God even hearing me right now? Have you forsaken me? Some of you feel like God's just forsaken you in your suffering. But he concludes it like this in verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of The living. There is nothing that can take that day away from you. Nothing. God God is with you. He has bought you, He has redeemed you, and He has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. And there is nothing that can take away that day where you get to step in front of Him and you get to experience Him and see Him in the land of the living, in that day where death is no more, pain is no more, suffering is no more. Wait for the Lord. I just feel like that's that's for somebody in this service right now. Wait, wait for him. He's not done yet. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. I don't feel strong. That's almost exclusively who God uses. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Jesus, that's our prayer. That we would just continue waiting for you in the midst of our suffering. God, I pray that you would help us take hope and to be honest about where we need some help. God, help, help put some people around us. Help your, help your, uh, your spirit minister, us, minister to us through others. Help us to be honest and open about where we're really at so that we can confess it, get it out in the open, God, and you can begin to do your work in our heart. Jesus, I pray for those that are just battered up and wounded right now. God, I pray that your presence would be so near to them and that you would minister to them right now and that they would feel overwhelmed by your love and your peace and your hope and your joy somehow. God, for those of us who have endured the suffering, I pray that you would show us the ministry that that suffering has invited us into. Give us specific people, specific stories that we can go into and speak encouragement into, speak love and life into. And God, I pray that we as a church would take on a posture where we are willing to suffer for the sake of others. That we would say, no, uh, there are, eternity is too long. God is too good for me to not endure some of the suffering that this world is going to afford me. Would we as a church just own that? Jesus, we love you and we need you. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we, we, we recognize that, man, the Holy Spirit can pour out and can do profound things. And so we invite you here right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you get this message not just into our heads, but would you now pull it down into our hearts? Would we believe it? Would we not just know it, but would we know it like down in our guts? God, we love you and we're for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.